0: So this week we are in Luke chapter 6, verses 27 to 38. Luke chapter 6, 27 to 38. Last week we, we took a look at the Beatitudes as they appear in Luke, a list that speaks more to our, our vertical relationship, that is between us and God, than it does our horizontal relationships, those between us and those around us. Today we continue in Luke. But our passage focuses more on our horizontal relationships. It focuses on how we relate to the world around us, and not just the world, but our enemies. How do we deal with those that disagree with us, that come against us forcefully? Let's turn to Luke and read what the Lord has for us this morning. Luke chapter 6, verses 27 to 38. But I say to you who hear, Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. To one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also, and from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you, and from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, so do to them. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. Judge not and you will not be judged. Condemn not and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use it, it will be measured back to you. Ascends the reading. Let's let's pray. God, we thank you for your word, for your word is truth. God, I pray that you would speak through your word today, that you would perform the miracle that feeds our souls. We pray this in your name. Amen. Love your enemies. Enemies. In second grade, I had an enemy, and his name was Dane. Now, I was the short kid in class. Like, that was just my lot in life. I was always the short kid in class But Dane wasn't much bigger than I was, and and he didn't seem to respect anyone. He was constantly getting sent to the principal's office or being asked to sit in the hall by our teacher. And it worked out better for me if he was in trouble, because then he wasn't allowed to come outside during recess. If he did get to come outside for recess, there were times, it wasn't every time, but there were a lot of times, when he would look for someone to push around and he'd look for someone he was bigger than. And in our class, that was me. I remember many a recess, running through the playground as equipment, trying to escape from Dane. Now he wasn't as fast as I was, so he never caught me. But when he, he, we'd get like inside, he'd, he'd taught me in front of the class. When we'd come back in from recess, he'd, he'd make fun of me and taunt me, until the teacher got there. he taught me how I would run. How I couldn't face up to it, how I was weak. And as that small second grader, I, I didn't see going to the teacher as an option. That would just give him more reason to taunt me, more reason to make fun of me. It would give him more reason for me to waste my recess running. It would make me look weak in front of my enemy. My enemy. We have a bit of a fascination with enemies, don't we? Because we want to be the hero. And you can't have a good, believable, awesome hero without having a good, believable, nefarious villain. For the good guys to be understood as strong and powerful, the villain has to be a worthy contender. Avengers Infinity War is a, a pretty awesome movie. I'm, just, I'm throwing that out there, I love that movie. And it's loaded with the superheroes that we've come to enjoy watching smash bad guys' faces. Like, that's what happens in the Marvel movies, and, and it's wonderful. But with so many heroes, a movie with all of them in it needs to have an amazing villain, which we received with Thanos. He's hands down the best villain we've seen in the Marvel movies to date. And the Infinity War movie, it wouldn't be a good movie if he wasn't a fantastic villain. Good needs a believable and powerful evil to overcome. Good guys need bad guys to show how good they are. That's my big issue with Superman. I mean, Superman's too powerful. Like, who's really going to challenge him? You tell me some smart dude is the only... Get out of here. You got to find some ridiculous little green rock from like some planet that blew up and that's the only way this guy's got a weakness? Forget it. Superman's no fun because there isn't a believable villain that can take him down. We need a good villain. And so we are fascinated with our enemies. We're fascinated with this idea of enemies. And we've begun to see this fascination play out in the world around us, particularly in the media, and particularly in politics. People, we're not allowed to disagree with each other anymore. I mean, obviously we are and we do, but the perception is that if we do, then we have irreconcilable, disre- irreconcilable differences. There we go. Got it out. And everything that we had in common, all the things that we agree on and and share interest in, that's now irrelevant. Like, that stuff doesn't matter anymore. Our relationship is dead before it could blossom because we disagree on political policy. Because we disagree on social justice issues. Because we disagree if it's called a pork roll or a tailor hand. Or if a hot dog is a sandwich... Or a hot dog. It's it's a hot dog. It's not a sandwich. Get out of here. (laughs) It is decided by the forces around us and because of the beliefs that we prescribe to and the opinions that we hold that we now must be enemies. As Christians, do we have enemies? Do we have enemies? As we, as we think about that question, we realize that it's actually a pretty deep like, theological question. One that our text this morning is addressing. So I'll ask it again. As Christians, do we have enemies? Off the top of our head, the typical response would be, yeah, yeah, like we do. And we'd point to the moral issues that face Our society today, we'd we'd point to abortion and and gay marriage and we'd point to legalized gambling and the push to legalize weed and we'd point to like the divorce rate and the slipping standards of morality on television, whatever it may be. There's a lot of different things that we could point to to try and and make our point that morality is, is falling apart. There's a lot of things going on in the world that are championed by our society that represent massive moral failure from a biblical perspective. And we see the embracing of immorality as an attack on our faith. We see the embrace of immorality as an attack on our faith. And so yes, our initial reaction would be, of course we have enemies. Like, just look around, man. Of course we do. How do we respond to these enemies? How do we respond? Hopefully, we're not... Dealing with our enemies in the way that the angels or the avengers deal with Thanos. We don't need to get involved in any fisticuffs. I just really wanted to use the word fisticuffs right there. But but the bottom line is that fighting is not the way to go. Historically, this hasn't been or historically this hasn't been our main go to strategy, though I'm seeing more and more of it on Facebook and social media. Like the trolls we're trying to counter, I've I've seen too many of those that share my faith and morals sitting back and lobbing grenades at the other side from the safety of their computer-shaped foxholes. No, historically, the church's reaction to the moral moral decay taking place in the world around it has been more like that of Pastor Dad in the second grade. We run. We run and and we put up defenses. We dig trenches. We put up our shields. We hope that we don't get noticed. and, And then we have to waste some of our free time dodging those who disagree with us. This week, I was telling my boys about the first computer game that I played growing up. Oregon Trail. Ages me a little bit, I'm sure, but that's okay. You know, fording rivers, hunting meat, and dying to dysentery as you strive to reach the Willamette Valley in Oregon. I told them about how, though it was a computer game, it it actually happened. People actually went from the east to the west on these wagon trains. They'd head out in groups because there's safety in numbers. And then at night, they would circle the wagons. They would park all of their wagons in a big circle and use them as the first line of defense. This way... They were more protected from the wild animals that may happen upon the camp and more protected from the men, the Indians and the bandits that would try to kill them and steal the goods that they were bringing to what they hoped would be their new homes. They circled the wagons. That is how Christians in the United States have typically and historically dealt with those that we have perceived to be our enemies in the world around us. We have circled the wagons. We have separated ourselves. We have done what we can to protect ourselves and our beliefs from the influence of the outside world. I'm not standing up here and like condemning homeschooling or private schools or Christian bookstores. I was homeschooled for a time. I graduated from, private, from a private Christian school and one of my first jobs was actually working at a Christian bookstore. Each of them had an impact on my walk of faith. Each of them helped me helped form me into the man of faith that I am today, I can assure you from firsthand experience that none of those institutions in and of themselves is bad. But what I do condemn is the mindset that could be encouraged and is sometimes fostered by those institutions. The mindset that sets up barriers between those of faith and those yet to come to faith. The mindset that says we need to circle the wagons to protect ourselves, to distance ourselves from those that disagree with us, from those that we have come to view as our enemies. I condemn that mindset because our text this morning condemns that mindset. In our text this morning, what does Jesus tell us? Love your enemies. Love your enemies. This is not a a general command to love all humanity, but a more specific instruction to those who stand in direct opposition to Jesus' followers. And furthermore, it's not a love that we see manifest itself passively. Jesus isn't telling us to make sure that we think nice thoughts and and generally care about the well-being of those who directly oppose us. This isn't a thoughts and prayers directive. Jesus is telling us to be proactive in this love to do good to them to bless them pray for them offer them the second cheek and the shirt along with the coat what what that flies completely in the face of how we've been handling our adversaries we've been circling the wagons We've been protecting the morality that God wants us to champion, that God wants us to support and follow. We've been protecting it the best way that we know how. And then we read that this teaching of Jesus, or we read this teaching of Jesus and see that love has more power than our wagons do. Love has more power than our wagons do. For so long, the world has been divided into two camps, and and we've fostered our different worldviews and come up with ways of living, ways of conducting ourselves that tell everyone else which camp we belong to. And then Jesus comes in and says that one of the defining characteristics of those in his camp, those that have faith in him, will be that they love their enemies. Jesus is telling us that loving our enemies tears down the social tensions that have built up between us, that in our community of believers there is no room for hate for those that we disagree with. Jesus calls his followers to form a community where the wagons have massive gaps in between them, where anyone can get in. And where the primary trait of those within the wagons, those who believe and are part of the community, is that they refuse to treat others as though they were enemies. Even and especially those that hate, exclude, ridicule, and shame you. So again, I ask the question, as Christians, do we have enemies? Yes. We have enemies. We have those that hate us. It's it's clear in our text, love your enemies. We have those that, that are our enemies. We have those that want to tear us down. And we are not able to compromise the truths of Scripture. And people are going to hate that. They're not going to like that. And they're going to hate us for believing that. But Jesus asks us to treat our enemies the same way that we treat our spiritual family. To love them the same way we love our sisters and brothers in Christ. To treat them the same way we treat our friends, our neighbors, and those that we love. How are we doing with that? How are we doing with that? Nobody said that living the Christian life would be easy. Some things that we are asked to do are harder than others. And this one, man, this is particularly hard for me. It seems to stand in the way of justice. Blessing those that curse me? Praying for those that have hurt me? Where is the justice in that? Why would I, should I, why would God ask me to make it seem like that is okay? This teaching of Jesus also seems to make me feel weak and inferior. Someone slaps me, and I'm supposed to just stand down and let them slap me again? They demand my coat, and the next step is for me to offer them my shirt as well? Where's the self respect? How could I look myself in the mirror? How could God ask me to do those things? Being small most of my growing up years and having a solid case of the little man syndrome, I never want to show weakness. I hate the idea of showing weakness. I never want those on the other side to see weakness. Those that disagree with me, I I don't want them to see that. And if I show weakness, it's an attempt to bait them into thinking that I'm not as capable as I am. And Jesus wants me to throw all of that out the window to let go of my pride and my sense of justice and embrace humility, to embrace my enemy with love? Where is the fairness in that? How can that be right? How can God ask that of me? He doesn't just ask that of you. That's what he asked of his son. That's what he asked of his son. You see, on our own, apart from faith, we are the enemies of God. In our own sinful nature, we rebel and we push against all that he stands for and all that he is. Apart from God, we are totally depraved and unable to help ourselves, unable to live a moral life. And frankly, we don't care even about the perception of morality. And so God sent Jesus. He sent Jesus to love us, to love his enemies. And though our sin is an example of hatred of God, he has been so, so good to us. He sent us Jesus. And though our sin is a curse to God, he has blessed us. And though our sin is an abuse of God and his grace, he has worked on our behalf. And though our sin has been a slap on his cheek, a nail through his hand, he offered his other hand and his feet as well, that he would be nailed to the cross to pay for the sin that so deeply hurt and offended him. And when we asked for miracles, man, he gave us miracles. But he gave us more than that. He gave us his shirt as well. He gave us his life his life as a ransom for the many, living the life that we could not, dying the death that we could not, that we might be reconciled to God, reconciled to the Father, that through faith in Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection, we can be secure in God's favor and that we will spend eternity worshiping him in glory. All of this because God loved his enemies. All of this because God loved us. Because he loves us. As we prepare to move into the next part of our service this morning, as we prepare our hearts for the communion table where we confess to our God our shortcomings and our sins and receive his forgiveness, his absolution for them, let us confess our struggle in loving our enemies let us lay that before the cross and let us pray that God would give us his grace, that he would help us see our enemies through his eyes, that we would love them, and that through our loving them, he would make, us, or he would make his love for them known, that his love, that this love would be another way that God would use us in his mission to bring about his kingdom. To God be the glory forever and ever. Amen.